Good morning. My name is Cynthia Landon. This morning we'll be looking at a story of Jesus healing a man's hand found in the Gospel of Mark. If you'd like to follow along in your Bibles or Bible apps, you can get those out now, or you can follow along on the screens. I'll be reading from the New International Version, Mark chapter 3, verses 1 through 6. Another time, Jesus went into the synagogue, and a man with a shriveled hand was there. Some of them were looking for a reason to accuse Jesus. So they watched him closely to see if he would heal him on the Sabbath. Jesus said to the man with the shriveled hand, Stand up in front of everyone. Then Jesus asked him, Which is lawful on the Sabbath, to do good or to do evil, to save life or to kill? But they remained silent. He looked around at them in anger and deeply distressed at their stubborn hearts, said to the man, stretch out your hand. He stretched it out, and his hand was completely restored. Then the Pharisees went out and began to plot with the Herodians how they might kill Jesus. This is the word of the Lord. Well, good morning. It's, um, it's a joy to be with you here today. I've been looking forward to this uh, for quite some time. We had a great time with the adults upstairs. I want to thank everybody who has made our visit possible. Um, people made arrangements for us to stay over at the Mercer and put some food and stuff out for us. Uh, Linda and I live in a small apartment in New Jersey, just uh, across the Hudson River from, uh, from Manhattan. And our apartment is on a corner. And we've lived in it for two years, and we absolutely love our apartment, even though the ceiling in our bedroom and in the second bedroom leak every time it rains. And we refuse to move out because we love it so much. We're on the fourth floor. We're, it's a corner apartment. We've got a view. My wife works from home. There's lots of light. It's just, it's just fabulous. But we've gotten used to putting the buckets out and stuff like that. So for the last two years, we've, we've lived with that. So we were laying in bed last night over there at the Mercer, and it wasn't raining when we went to bed. But sometime during the night, I woke up, and the, the rain was blowing against the window, and it sounded exactly like when our ceiling leaks at home in New Jersey. And I thought, these people thought of everything. They made us feel right at home here with a leaky ceiling. But no, I realized it wasn't a leaky ceiling at all. It was just your beautiful northwest rain hitting against the window. And uh, so we definitely do, do feel welcome here. And uh, it's, it's, yeah, like I said, it's a delight to be with you. Uh, thank you, Cynthia, for the reading of that passage this morning. Uh, it's only six verses long. And I'm going to uh, ask you to do me a favor. Uh, I hope you followed along as she read it. Um, I'm going to ask you to listen to it one more time, but I don't want you to follow along. I want you to close your eyes. I want you to put yourself in the synagogue, okay, this little local place of worship and gathering there where people know each other. They're together with their friends and their family members. The religious leaders are known to them, and this man Jesus comes in on this particular Sabbath day. So I want you to just close your eyes and listen as I read this. See what you see, see what you hear in the passage. It says, Another time Jesus went into the synagogue, and a man with a shriveled hand was there. 
Some of them were looking for a way, a reason to accuse Jesus, so they watched him closely to see if he would heal him on the Sabbath. Jesus said to the man with the shriveled hand, Stand up in front of everyone. Then Jesus asked them, Which is lawful on the Sabbath, to do good or to do evil, to save life or to kill? But they remained silent. He looked around at them in anger and deeply distressed at their stubborn hearts, said to the man, Stretch out your hand. He stretched it out, and his hand was completely restored. Then the Pharisees went out and began to plot with the Herodians how they might kill Jesus. Let me pray for us. God, you have blessed us by giving us your word. And as we look at this passage today, Lord, we can learn more about Jesus as Jesus reveals himself to this man in a desperate situation, to everybody in the synagogue that day, and, and through Mark's words, reveals Jesus to us. We just need to see Jesus once again today, Lord. And so I pray that you would open the eyes of our hearts, just free us from every distraction right now that could keep us from hearing from you. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. The way Mark writes this gospel, to me, is a lot like reality television. He, he takes these, these little episodes, this one is only six verses long, and there are actually several more right in front of it, and they're self-contained, but they also contain characters that carry from one episode to the next. And I think Mark knew something that the producers and writers of reality television know, that we have this insatiable curiosity to know about other people. We like to listen in. We like to look at their lives. We like to know how they interface with each other and how are people very different from us? How are those people acting? And that's what he's doing in this passage here. He's given us this little episode that we can look at today. And so I'm going to ask as we look at this passage today that you try as hard as you possibly can to not let the Pharisees distract you. Because they are an incredible distraction in this passage. And really the Pharisees and, and, and their butting heads with Jesus about the Sabbath and all, that's actually a sermon for another day. There, there's good stuff there. But today, don't let that distract you. Because I want you to look at Jesus, and I want you to look at Jesus face-to-face -face with one individual, a desperate individual. That's what I'd like us to do today in this passage. And there's five things that I want us to look at together this morning to help us get to know Jesus better. And the first one is simply this. It's the encounter, this encounter that Jesus has with this man. And the encounter is absolutely intentional. There's no coincidence here. This just didn't happen to happen. No, Jesus knew exactly who he was going to encounter that day in the synagogue. In verse 1, we read, Jesus went into the synagogue, and a man with a shriveled hand was there. Jesus was not surprised to find a needy man in the synagogue that day. The encounter was completely intentional on the part of Jesus, and that's a very key point. We'll get back to that in a moment. The second thing I want us to see is the condition of this man. And in a word, I think we can say the condition of this man was hopeless, because, again, we read in verse 1, a man with a shriveled hand was there. Now, that language might not be super familiar to us, but 
the situation is that he had a, he had a, a dead hand. He, he had a, a, a worthless appendage at the end of his arm that did him no good whatsoever. His hand was shriveled. And different Bible scholars will surmise that this man was probably involved in some kind of a vocational accident where his hand was crushed. In that day and age, uh, men worked with, with stones and with blocks, and it's entirely possible that, that he and others were putting a large stone in place and everybody else pulled their hand out before he got his hand out and it was crushed between two large stones. And in that moment, the man lost the use of his hand. It was worthless to him from that day forward. It was probably very painful and it was probably a painful reminder every day about the loss that this man has experienced that had altered his entire life. Nothing would ever be the same again after the day that his hand was crushed. Now, you and I can imagine what it would be like to lose that one thing that makes us employable. You are all employed in different vocations, but probably every one of us could think of that one thing that if we lost that, our ability to see or some cognitive ability or ability to to speak, whatever the case may be, that we would not be employable anymore. That's exactly the situation this man was in. He, He had this stigma now that he carried every day of his life that said, I am now dependent on everybody else. Maybe he was a beggar. We're not told that, but we meet a lot of beggars in the New Testament. People, for whatever reason, couldn't work, and they begged for a living. Or possibly he had family who was able to care for him. But no doubt he tried everything he possibly could, seeing whatever medical help was available on that day, to no avail. He was hopeless. Third thing I want us to see is the invitation. The invitation that Jesus makes to this man. Actually, it comes in two parts, and it's a risky invitation. We read in verse 3. Jesus said to the man with the shriveled hand, stand up in front of everyone. Now, we can safely conclude if Jesus tells this man to stand up, it's because he wasn't standing up. He was sitting down. And when Jesus says to stand up in front of everyone, we can also conclude it's because he was somewhere in the back. This was the man who lived in the shadows. This is the man that didn't want the spotlight. He was very content to come in the door, sneak over by himself, sit down in the back, and hopefully others wouldn't see him. He was very content to do that. And Jesus challenges him at that point and extends an invitation to this man. But it's an invitation that comes with a cost. Now, I told you we didn't want to get distracted by the Pharisees, but we don't want to deny that they were there. And we know that the Pharisees had Jesus in their crosshairs, and they were watching for Jesus to do something that they could point the finger at him and say, see, he's really not from God. And this man knew, this man with a shriveled hand knew that the Pharisees held an incredible amount of power in the synagogue to the point where they can kick somebody out of the synagogue should they choose to do so. They could expel somebody from the synagogue. Do you remember the man who was born blind and Jesus healed him, but it happened to be on a Sabbath day? And that man got into a a, a big conversation with the Pharisees and ultimately they threw him out of the synagogue. He was excommunicated from his place of worship, the place where his community met. They had that much 
power. The man with the shriveled hand knew that. And when Jesus invited him to come from that very back place in the shadows to come up and stand in front of everybody, that put him in the limelight. And it also associated him with Jesus to some degree. It was a risky invitation that Jesus made. But this man was willing to at least go that far. And he comes forward. The second part of the invitation we see in verse 5. Jesus said to the man, stretch out your hand. Stretch out your hand. Why would Jesus tell him to stretch it out? Well, clearly, this is a man who didn't walk around with his shriveled hand out in front of everybody. He would keep it hidden. Keep that thing out of sight that had caused him so much pain. Keep that thing out of view that that had caused him discouragement, depression, unemployment. He'd lost his place in society because of that. Keep it out of sight. Because if he kept it out of sight, he could look relatively normal. He, He could walk and he could talk and he could do things with his left hand. And if you didn't know him well, you, you might not even know that he had a, a hidden thing, a shriveled thing that was out of sight. And now Jesus challenges, invites this man to extend that thing that he loved to keep hidden. Now, the man clearly had a choice at this point because Jesus wasn't forcing him to do anything. And one of the choices the man could have made would have been to say, no thanks, Jesus. It was hard enough to walk up here in front of everybody, but I'm not going that far. That's a bridge too far for me. I'm going back to my seat in the back. Thank you very much. He could have done that. It was a viable option he had. Second option the man had would have been to do what he did every day of his life, and that was extend his good hand. Put, put my best foot forward. Put on my game face. Look, look at my hand. Okay, Jesus, you asked me to extend my hand. Here it is. It works well. Strong. Good dexterity. There it is, Jesus. And he could have done that. That's what he was used to doing. The other thing that he could have done is to do exactly what Jesus was asking him to do and to stretch out that shriveled hand. Which brings us to the next point, which is the response. The response on the part of this man. Now, I believe that in this interaction with Jesus, as brief as it was, they've been building a trust relationship with each other. You can't stand in front of Jesus. You can't look into his eyes. You, you can't be in a conversation with Jesus and not know that he's for you. Not know that he loves you and, and wants what's best for you. And I think that this man was getting a taste of that. So when Jesus invited him to do that really difficult thing of taking that shriveled hand out of the darkness... And putting it out into the light, he was willing to trust Jesus. And verse 5 simply says, he stretched it out. He extended that ugly thing. He extended that thing that he was ashamed of. He extended that thing that had caused him so much pain in his life. And that brings us to the final point. The restoration. The restoration. Verse 5 again, Mark tells us, and his hand was completely restored. Completely restored. The restoration was complete because Jesus doesn't do things halfway. He doesn't. 
If Jesus is going to do something, he's going to do it all the way. It's going to be complete. And Mark confirms that the restoration was complete. So what that means is that when Jesus healed his hand, it didn't all of a sudden just look like the other one. The, the broken bones were put back together and any tendons that were torn or whatever were, were, were all put back together. Certainly that, but so much more. Because the complete restoration meant that it was restored to like it was before the accident. When he had full strength and full use of that hand, in an instant, his bad hand was as good as his good hand, completely restored. No occupational therapy needed. He was ready to go because of what Jesus did for him. Now, I tend to believe that Jesus did a lot more restoration in that guy's life that day than just physically restoring his hand. I believe that Jesus did an emotional restoration in that man's heart that day. Because as soon as Jesus healed his hand, this guy realized that thing that has kept me in the dark, this thing that I've wanted out of you, this thing that has caused me so much pain, so much discouragement, so much depression, it's gone. It's totally gone. I, I can live a new life. I think Jesus restored him emotionally as well. I know Jesus restored him vocationally. I don't think it took the guy three seconds to realize, I can go to work tomorrow morning. I can go back to work. I can provide for my family again. I don't have to be dependent. I can make a contribution to my society once again. He was vocationally restored. Socially, he was restored. No need to hide in the shadows anymore. No need to stand in the back. No need to keep that thing out of sight. He was restored to his society. But even more significantly, I believe that Jesus began a spiritual restoration in this man's life. Now, Mark doesn't record that for us today. But I don't know how this man could have gone through what he just did face to face with Jesus and not start into a process of spiritual restoration. So when Mark says that his hand was completely restored, I believe there were huge aspects of his life that were restored at the same time. Jesus is revealing himself in this interchange, certainly to the man, certainly to everybody that's observing. And then as we read the passage, he's revealing himself to us as well. But I think Jesus is going to another level in this passage as well because he is revealing his mission on this earth. He's revealing something to us that's called the gospel. It's very plain. It's very clear in this passage that Jesus is revealing to us how the gospel works. Because anytime we see Jesus do something that only Jesus could do and nobody else could ever do it, he's revealing the gospel to us because that's at the heart of the gospel. That's why we call him Savior. We don't need a savior if we can save ourselves. Jesus is revealing the gospel to us here. The gospel always starts with Jesus. It never starts with us. If it starts with us, it's not gospel. It's religion. It's our attempts to connect with God, to, to reconnect with God. If it starts with God and he sends his son to come to this earth, it starts with him. 
It initiates. Gospel always initiates with Jesus. Gospel addresses us right at our point of need. Jesus knew who was in the synagogue that day, and he knew what their needs were. And Jesus came to prepared to address that need. Now, as we sit here today, I don't know you. I don't know where you are with God today. But I would imagine if you're like any other church, there may be some of you here today that are not yet in a relationship with God through his son, Jesus Christ. And that's fine. I'm delighted that you're here and being exposed to the word of God. But if that's where you are today, then Jesus stands ready to meet you at that point of need. That is your point of greatest need because we are created for relationship with God. I would also imagine that the majority of you here today are in a relationship with God through faith in his son, Jesus Christ. But nevertheless, the gospel is still every bit as active. And and the gospel meets you right at your point of need. We'll talk about that a little more in a moment. Just because we're saved, just because we're Christians, doesn't mean we stop needing the gospel. Gospel makes an invitation Gospel doesn't force itself on anybody. It, it makes an invitation. And then we get to choose how we're going to respond to gospel. And essentially, we get the same three choices that the man with the shriveled hand had. You know, one of our choices can be, no thanks, Jesus. That's too painful. I, I'm not willing to bring that out into the light of day. Or, or we can do, take another option that the man had and just put our best foot forward. And we're so used to that, aren't we? We know how to live that way. We put our game face on and everything's fine when there's something on the inside that really isn't fine at all. We can make that choice too and just kind of keep it hidden. Or we can take gospel at its word and extend that thing that needs to come out into the light of day and let God deal with it. We get to choose how we respond. And in gospel, Jesus restores. He restores what was lost. He restores what was broken. He restores what was shriveled. He restores what was dead. And in gospel, we add nothing. We add nothing. There's nothing that we can add to gospel to make it a little better. When Jesus completely restored that man's hand, he did it in such a way that there was nothing that man could do to add to that. That's pure gospel. It's, it's all God. We don't earn it. We can't work for it. We receive what he gives to us. So Jesus is, receive, is revealing gospel. At the same time, he's re- revealing himself. I've never been in a church before where there aren't people in the church who are walking around with a shriveled heart, with shriveled relationships, with shriveled memories, with shriveled self-images. And that is never God's design for us. It is never his design for us. But we've found it easier to compensate for those things, to hide those things, to keep them in the shadows and not receive the restoration that God would have for us because it's too risky, it's too painful for us to go there. A young woman by the name of Kay approached me over a year ago after a sermon on forgiveness. 
And she came up to me and she said, I'm really struggling with, with forgiving my father. And just shared a little bit. And I said, we should get together and talk about this. And so we did. And she shared with me that her father had just, he'd just been a rotten father when she was young. And he continued to be. And, and he'd done so many abusive things to her and to other family members. And it continued on to that day. And so we looked together at the scriptures and we looked at what Jesus had to say about forgiveness. And we looked at what the Apostle Paul had to say about forgiveness. And, and, and she understood that, that, that the biblical mandate was that she forgive her father, whether he asked for it or not. But she couldn't go there. It was too big of a risk. It was too painful. And she thanked me and I promised to pray for her and she went on her way. A year later, she came back to me. Just a month ago, she came back to me. And she said, I can't go on like this any longer. There's a bitterness in my life, and it's getting worse, and, and I have to forgive my father. So we got together again, and we revisited the Scriptures, and we talked through what it would look like for her to forgive her father out loud. And I told her, bring a friend with you. You need somebody else. And so she brought a friend to come with. And she prayed this long and beautiful prayer, naming the things that her father had done to her, releasing her father, forgiving him completely. And, and honestly, it was like this huge load had been lifted off her shoulders. I mean, she was just, she was just bawling, and she was just so excited that she'd finally been able to forgive her father. She was carrying a shriveled heart around with her. And she finally received what God had for her. You and I get the same three choices every time we face something in our lives that Jesus wants to deal with. Something that he wants to restore in our lives. We get the choices. Whether we say yes to him or not. I think that for us, as followers of Jesus Christ, for us to stretch our hand out, as Jesus asked this man to do, would look like taking that thing, whatever it is in our life, out of the darkness and letting God's light shine on it. And I believe that since Jesus' design for the church is that we live in community with each other, I believe that it's not something that we typically do alone. It's where we seek somebody else out. We, we seek out a, a person that we can trust, a person that we know loves us, a close friend, a family member, a, somebody in our small group, a pastor, and sit down together and talk that thing out. Get it out. Get it out into the light of day so that God can deal with it. Sometimes that's a cost we're unwilling to pay, but can I encourage you to consider taking the risk? Because that's God's design. Find somebody to listen to you. Find somebody who will pray with you so you will not be carrying it alone anymore. A guy by the name of Brian wanted to have lunch with me a couple of months ago. We sat down over lunch, and he started to talk. And he talked for about 40 minutes nonstop. And I just remember thinking and praying while Brian was talking, man, I don't have anything for you. I don't have any answers for you. I don't have any solution. The more you talk, the more complex your life and your relationships and stuff gets to me, and I have nothing to offer you. This is what I was thinking the whole time he was talking. 
And when he finally stopped talking, I mean, this had to be the Holy Spirit because I'm not smart enough to do this. When he finally finished talking, the only thing I could think of to say was, so Brian, how do you feel now after you said all that? And he paused for a minute. He got this big smile on his face. He said, Kevin, I feel so much better. Just getting all of that out. And even as he talked it, he heard himself and, and God started to show him a way forward. And, and it just dramatically changed everything. It was one of those classic share one another's burdens situation. But he had to be willing to take the risk to bring all that stuff out and put it out on the table so that Jesus could start to bring the restoration into his life. I think when we're willing to do that, then we can expect that God will show us the next steps. It's going to look different for each one of us, but if we're willing to do that, God will make it pretty clear how to move forward, what, what other steps might be necessary in that particular situation. Some of us are walking around today with shriveled stuff in our lives even as this man walked around for a long time with a shriveled hand. Jesus is inviting us to experience his restoration. We get to choose. We get to choose how we respond. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, I thank you for Uh, this passage of Scripture this morning, and I thank you for the truth of your word. And I thank you for the opportunity to look at Jesus and see how he interacts with people and reveals the gospel at the same time. And God, I pray for each of my sisters and brothers here today and myself as well. God, if we're carrying anything around in our lives that we just have been unwilling to address it, unwilling to deal with it, that we would take you up at your invitation to stretch that thing out. That we would receive from you the restoration that you have for us if we're willing to take that step of faith, take that risk, and extend that thing to you. God, we know it's not your design for us to carry shriveled things around in our lives. And I just pray that you won't let us rest until we respond to you and allow you to do your work in our lives and hearts. Thank you, God, for this church. Thank you for this day. Thank you for the Lord's table that we get to approach here in a few minutes. And thank you that you are at work here in our midst. In Jesus' name, amen.